Hello, everybody. Happy Monday and welcome to today's Wonder Why Lunch and Learn. Let's just do uh, a quick check that we are going live, that everything is happening. And I am so excited to have with us today Dr. Talia Makajani, who is a naturopathic doctor based here in Toronto, Canada, where I am. Hi, Talia. Do you want to um, just say hello to everyone while I do a little bit of a tech check here? Yes. So hi, everyone. I am a naturopathic doctor. I'm, I'm Dr. Talia Makajani. And uh, Tracy and I have done collabs <laughs> in the past. I am... I did a, a five-part bonus uh, for the program. She's been on my podcast. I've showed up for these lunch and learns. And what have we talked about? We talked about dopamine, yes. motivation, and mood. And and we've obviously talked about alignment. And so today we're going to talk about a little bit of a different thing, but it's a very common concern. And it's like a motivating concern when someone deals with this problem. They usually, it's upsetting. It's an upsetting issue to have is hair loss and hair health. It is. And it kind of comes out of nowhere, right? Um, mm. I went through a phase a couple of years ago where, <laughs> I mean, I'm super, super interested in hearing all that. I've, I've called this hair loss at, you know, period and menopause. What the bleep is going on and what can we do about it? <laughs> yeah. like, I went to a stage where, like, I would avoid washing my hair because I didn't want to see, you know, yeah. all that hair lying on the floor afterwards. And then you've got to clean your brush and you're like, Oh my goodness, did this much hair fall out? And, and you just feel uh, this wig coming out yes, of you. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, our, our hair is our crowning glory. And it can really be, you know, just uh, that nail in the coffin of these peri and menopause symptoms that are going on. So if you're watching on YouTube or on Facebook, let us know if um you know, if, if if hair loss is something that that you are struggling with at the moment, and I'd love to know from Talia as well, like, let me know, especially if you're watching in the Facebook group in the Perry and Menopause Movement Club Facebook group, that is where Talia can answer your questions here live or on the replay. I will be watching, I'm going to hand the screen over to Talia, I will be watching the questions in um LinkedIn and in the Facebook group and asking them to tell you. So please ask away. If you're watching live now with us, give us a thumbs up, give us a heart and let us know where you are watching from and put those questions in the chat. And with that, I am going to hand over to you, Talia. Yes, I have a PowerPoint for the occasion. So let's get on it. Let me open it up. And here we are. Oh, hang on. There we go. This is how it starts. Okay. So understanding hair loss. <laughs> my, Canva has great graphics. So there's some very dramatic images, right? And this is what we exactly what you were talking about. Tracy is the the loss, the it coming out in the brush and the comb. And um, so my name is Dr. Talia Marcajani. I'm a naturopathic doctor. Here's my contact info that will show up on the last slide as well, but I'll see you in, in, I'll be in the Facebook group to answer questions afterwards too. So for there, there's a few key reasons why we might lose hair. So the first thing, you know, I, I'd, I'd say the biggest misconception is that we consolidate all hair loss into one big lump. So when a patient will come in, noticing that they're losing hair 
um, they've, you know, usually done some reading or they've, they have some idea about their hair loss. They might like, they, they usually will have like started on a supplement, like a skin hair nail supplement. Like they are taking biotin or they're taking horsetail. They're taking one of these supplements that's marketed for hair in general. And the issue, so I've, you know, and again, if somebody is experiencing some hair loss, takes biotin and it gets better, they're probably not going to come and see me. Um, so I'm going to see the people that that doesn't help, but I would say the majority that that's not the answer, right? So there's usually a reason why we're losing hair. There's, I'm going to talk about three key reasons in this presentation or in this conversation, Tracy, you can interrupt me and talk to me at any time. Um, and, uh, and so we'll, we'll kind of outline, like, how can you tell the difference? How can you get the diagnosis? There's a lot of overlap with treatment. There's some overlap with symptoms, but it's all about finding out the actual cause of hair loss. And when I, so as naturopathic doctors, we always talk about the root cause. We want to find the root cause. We don't want to just um, placate your symptoms or apply like a topical intervention to mask your symptoms. In When I'm talking about the cause of hair loss, the first layer is like, what's the actual diagnosis? Like what type of hair loss is it? And then from there, we can find the deeper root cause. So the first thing, and you may not just like, what is healthy hair? What's normal? Uh, and some terminology. Okay, so it's important to understand the difference between less hair density. So like less actual hairs on your head, right? So that's going to be like hair falling out, shedding versus thinning of the hair follicle itself. Okay. So, and this is more related to the, to the androgenic alopecia that we'll talk about, but the hormonal pattern hair loss has to, uh, what is usually involved is that the hair follicle itself, the hair shaft, um, well, the hair follicle, and then the hair shaft as a result of that gets skinnier. So the actual hair itself is thinner, weaker, right? Because it has less like um, it's like a thinner rope of protein. So it's important to know the difference between these two things. The first thing to consider if you're noticing hair loss is, am I noticing less density, like less actual hairs, or is the actual texture different? Am I noticing a thinner individual hair, a finer hair, let's say? Okay. And, uh, the, the official term for thinning of the hair follicle of the hair shaft is hair follicle miniaturization. Um, it's normal to lose 50 to 100 hairs a day. So that's something else to keep in mind. That's usually the first thing a, a health practitioner will ask you is like, how many hairs? Is it more than 100 a day? Because 100 could, especially if if you have long hair, the hairs that are, those 100 hairs will often fall and then they'll get kind of trapped in the rest of your hair. So the you don't see it come out of your hair until you're brushing washing, running your fingers through your hair. And so a lot, so usually when we're losing those hundred hairs, if you have shorter hair, you're going to see it all come out at once. So sometimes that can be alarming, but I mean, it is a little bit of like a gaslighting thing to like, <laughs> to talk about this a lot, because usually when people are noticing hair loss, you know, your own hair, right? You know, what's normal for you. If you're seeing an increase in shedding or you're noticing that your hair is thinning, then, then I usually, I will take your word for it. Um, this is actually just an aside is that the the most common types of hair loss involve diffuse shedding or thinning. 
So somebody could have half the density and you can tell that by when you gather your hair into a ponytail, if it's long enough, you feel that the actual ponytail is thinner, right? So either there's less hair or the hair is, is thinner. And so you, you have less hair, but because it's evenly distributed, and this is very common for women, especially with um, hormonal hair loss, is that it'll, it'll still look normal. And so a lot of practitioners, like, especially, you know, I don't want to throw medical doctors under the bus, but this is really common, right? It's usually who people will first go to. They'll be like, no, you don't, you're not losing any hair. It looks fine. Or they're maybe not taken seriously because uh, on first appearance, and if you don't have the comparison of, of you know, your normal hair density um, or your previous hair density, you, it looks normal, right? So, and, you know, your friends might say this too, if you're mentioning that you're concerned about hair loss, like, oh, you look, you look fine. You have lots of hair. You look great. But you're noticing compared to your normal that there is less hair. So, you know, our scalp is important. That's the first thing to think about too, is how is the health of your scalp? Do you have rashes? Do you have dandruff, flaking? Is there pain in your scalp? Is there inflammation? So inflammation would be like, swelling of the scalp or tenderness or the actual skin feels um, uncomfortable or inflamed or tender. Maybe it's sensitive. Maybe it's irritated by the water from your shower, by certain chemicals, by um, products that you're using on your hair. So how's the health of your scalp, right? So our hair emerges from our scalp. And so that would be the first thing you want to understand. And then we mentioned, is it shedding or is and like an, an loss? And so hair follicle miniaturization, when the hair gets thinner, ultimately the, the hair follicle dies and then you lose that follicle. So the, the um, hair loss, like permanent loss, which arises from death of the hair follicle will usually start with a thinner hair, right? So it's important to like, you know, questions to consider are, okay, is, is it hair coming out, but you're noticing like new little hairs growing? Are you noticing the overall hair shaft is thinner? Is it breaking? Is it drier? Are you noticing more split ends? Is your hair not growing as long as it used to? Is it feeling dry? Is the texture changed, right? How is the overall health of your hair? And then systemic, we, we use the term like in the medical profession and healthcare, we use systemic. So overall, how is the, your general health? How is the health of your whole body? Uh, how is your energy? Have you recently lost a lot of weight or potentially gained? Is, has there been a change in your weight? Have you started a new medication? Are you undergoing go, undergoing any treatments for anything? Have you stopped a medication such as birth control? Have you recently had a baby? What's your family history? Uh, right, like your mother, your grandmother. Um, what has their hair history been like? And then also keeping in mind my last thing, and I'll come back to this point, is that your hair is made of keratin, which is a protein. Okay, so this stuff coming off of your head is protein. So there's three main types of hair loss that we'll talk about today. They're, they fall under the category of non-scarring alopecia. Alopecia is the medical term for hair loss. Um, so the first one is telogen effluvium. Okay, and this is the this is like well we'll talk about what what that is in more specific details. Then androgenic alopecia this is your female pattern or hormonal hair loss, and then alopecia areata. It's less common, 
but it's worth talking about because it helps us differentiate why hair loss might be occurring. This is autoimmune hair loss. Um, other possible forms of hair loss that are important to rule out, although I wouldn't say necessarily less common, but they're uh, they're a little bit more of a tell because there are specific symptoms or or circumstances in which they all arise, is you may have tinea capitis. So it could be a fungal scalp infection that will result in hair loss. You'll probably notice that the issue is more with your scalp than the hair loss. Like you'll have a lot of flaking, itching, dandruff, redness of the scalp, chemical related. So chemotherapy, right? It's a, it's a uh, you know, if someone's undergoing uh, chemo treatment for cancer, a type of hair loss called antigen effluvium can occur right? And so usually you would know if this is occurring for you. Um, you've probably been you know, informed by your health practitioners that that, that that could occur if that's happening for you. Trauma related. So either pulling, there's a mental health condition that's associated with OCD called trichotillomania, in which people will pull out their hair. Okay. So you'll know, obviously you'll know that there's hair loss because of the, of hair being pulled out. Um, and then trichorexis nodosa, which is like uh, kind of like traction alopecia. So wearing hairstyles that are very tight, or I surf in the winter and we wear these neoprene hoods. And so you commonly can get traction alopecia from the pulling of the hood, um, you know, on the hair against the scalp. So that you'll see like hair breakage in these cases, or you'll have a, a mechanism that you're like, oh, you know what? I'm wearing a lot of bathing caps. I'm feeling this tugging on my scalp, or I'm wearing really tight hairstyles. So, but these are other types of um, alopecia. And then there's scarring alopecia. We're not going to talk about it today. It's very rare. Um, and that's sort of a, a different, more um, like uh, scalp related systemic. So whole body uh, disease processes that are more rare. So we'll, we're going to focus on the three top ones today. Those are the most common reasons why someone would be experiencing sudden hair loss. So intelligent effluvium is, so your hair, what is telogen? Your hair has four main phases. Okay. The two main phases that you don't need to know at all. So I'm just breaking down the, what's, what do you need to know? Antigen phase is when your hair is growing. Telogen phase is when it's in a resting phase. So once your hair follicle is like reached its limit, this is as long as it's going to go. It sits in telogen phase and it sits there until the hair dies and falls out. Okay, so during telogen effluvium, a large amount of the hair follicles get turned into telogen phase. They all enter telogen phase at once and then they all um, enter the, th then they all enter the final phase in which they fall out. Okay, so you're getting sudden hair loss where large amounts of hair are falling out in a diffuse pattern. So you may not even on first appearance, look like your hair's thinning. Like I mentioned, it might look like you still have a full head of hair, but your hair is um, shedding. Okay. So you're, you're not noticing patches or circular patterns or areas of thinning. It's kind of, it's thinning uniformly. The onset is sudden, like I said. So all of a sudden you're noticing hair is falling and falling and it, that feels really scary. It's important to know that the, the onset of the hair loss is a result of something that triggered the telogen effluvium three to five months before. So one of the questions that I'll always ask patients who are dealing with hair loss, or I'll ask, is it coming out diffusely? Are you noticing any patches or is it uniformly coming out? 
Um, you know, did it happen suddenly? How many hairs are you losing? And when did it start? And what was happening three to five months before it started? Right. So stress is a major reason why someone would experience telogen effluvium. It's usually not just kind of chronic ongoing stress. There's, it might be you, you're dealing with chronic ongoing stress, then also a big stressor comes and hits you. Right. And then, and then you're noticing like a, a more significant load of stress. Right. So, you know, severe chronic illnesses, um, pregnancy. So during pregnancy, we, we, our hair stays more in antigen phase. So we don't enter telogen until after giving birth. So usually pregnant women, beautiful, full head of glorious, luxurious hair. And then, and there's this decrease in natural shedding. And then after giving birth, then you'll start to notice all this postpartum hair loss. It's not extra hair that you're losing. It's the hair that you didn't lose during the nine months of pregnancy. So being educated about that's helpful. It can help the psychological stress of like seeing all your hair fall out at once and knowing that in about three to six months, it's going to stop and you'll you'll go back to kind of your normal hair before that. But that's a big reason for telogen effluvium. Surgery, right? So any kind of stress on your body, high fever. So having undergone the flu, it's uh, what is very common. And you might have read about this in the news or seen articles on this is post COVID hair loss. So three to six months after getting COVID, depending on how serious it was for you, but usually, you know, a couple of weeks of being bedridden with a flu or something like that is people will start to see this hair loss. And so the thought is there's some speculation. It could be certain nutrient deficiencies related to the infection, but also just the stress of mounting a fever and dealing with that infection on your body can result in hair loss three to six months later. Right. So severe infections, malnutrition is a very big one, right? So sudden weight loss of about 20 pounds or more, um, doing some sort of crash diet or low calorie diet, and then certain nutrients like low iron or anemia or low B12, low vitamin D. We'll talk about all that in a bit. Or endocrine disorders. This is where your low thyroid function might come in. Um, now it's something that we also do is, is the tug test. So if you take about 30 hairs and you run your fingers through them, does a hair come out? Okay. So I'm failing the tug test. Thank, thank goodness. But you can even do that right now. If you run your fingers through sort of like a section of hair, does a hair come out? So we call that the tug test, right? So the idea is that the the hair is intelligent, so it's ready to fall. It's like in the fall, <laughs> you know, the autumn, when you have the leaves on the trees that are ready to come off, a wind blowing through the tree, the leaves will knock all the, the leaves off the tree. It's not that you're pulling the hair out. It's that the hair is like ready to fall out and just that tiny bit of mechanical stimulation of running your fingers through your hair washing your hair, brushing your hair, pull, you know, gets the hair out of the follicle. Um, so that we call that the tug test. You can try that yourself and see, and that would indicate telogen effluvium. A, a sign telogen effluvium is that you see little baby hairs growing. So if you're seeing a little bit of regrowth, so you're seeing like the kind of the, the flyaways or the little baby hairs, um, that is a sign that you've got new hair now growing in the place of the hair that fell out. Okay. So the, the thing about telogen effluvium is it's very stressful, you know, it usually results from stress too. So you're probably not feeling great when it starts. 
Um, but it's temporary. And as soon as, as long as you treat the underlying cause, it resolves. The problem is it resolves in about three to six months. So it occurs three to six months after the problem starts. If the problem is over, then in about three to six months, the hair stops shedding. So there's a, there's a bit of a problem there with treatment, right? This is why it's important to get it right when we're treating hair loss is to figure out what actually is causing it because there's such a delay in the response to treatment to see if what we're doing is working, that you don't want to wait three months, find out nothing's changing. And then now we got to rewrite, refigure out what's happening. So this is, you know, there's lots you can do, but you know, if it's just as simple as a stressful event or you had COVID or you were, you were pregnant and then you gave birth, this is a short lived condition. As long as the underlying thing that caused it is resolved. The problem with nutrient deficiencies is that often we don't know until we find out and diagnose them um, or hypothyroidism. Um, just a quick question. Yeah. What is the kind of pass or fail of the tug test? So about 30 hairs. I don't know. You don't really need to count them. It's I would just take a section mm-hmm. of hair, run your fingers through it gently. If a hair falls out, it's a positive tug test. So a hair shouldn't be falling out. It shouldn't be falling out. Yeah. I mean, if you ran your fingers through your whole head, maybe you'd get one or two, right? Um, you're going to see more in the shower, especially with longer hair, because they're, now they're, like I said, they're all coming out at the same time. Right. Um, that hundred or 50 to 100 hairs for the day. But if you're just sort of sitting here and you're running your finger through a section of hair and you can get a hair out reliably, then it's a positive tug test. It's a little bit of... um a gray area. It's not a diagnostic test, but it's a sign to indicate telogen effluvium. Yeah. Thanks. It's an easy one, right? I can just ask a patient, yeah. like, when your fingers see your hair is there? Yeah. And then they'll be like, oh, I see them. Yeah. And then usually I do it and then I have one too. I'm like, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Today, no though. Um, so because this is such a common reason that someone experiences hair loss um, and it's connected to androgenic alopecia. We'll talk a little bit more, but there's certain blood tests we have to order. So a CBC is a complete blood count. This looks at like it can rule out anemia, low immune function, infection. Ferritin is your iron storage, B12. TSH uh, tests is a, is a thyroid screening marker. You can order a whole thyroid panel, especially if that's, um, high on the the list of suspicion that there could be a thyroid issue. So we'd ask other questions related to that, right? Like, are you gaining weight and having difficulty losing weight? Are you tired? Thing with low thyroid function is that those symptoms indicate like their, their whole body, they're systemic and a a few other things um, also fall into that symptom category, right? So a lot of people deal with fatigue issues with losing weight, um, you know, just lower sort of vitality, lower energy. Um, and so we want to figure, but if you have those symptoms, then we we investigate deeper, especially if you know you have thyroid issues, maybe we need to uh, adjust the medication that you're taking. Um, vitamin D is really important. This is something often overlooked, but right now, especially we're at risk for low vitamin D because now we're not getting as much sun exposure. A cholesterol panel is important to understand like there's a lot you can tell from a cholesterol panel. It's not just if you have high cholesterol or not, it's, you know, what's the quality of your diet? What's the quality of fats in your diet? Are you, um, did you just lose a lot of weight suddenly? There's a lot we can kind of get around nutrition status from it. So it's a good one to test. Um, 
fasting glucose and insulin? How's your body metabolizing sugar and using energy? A liver panel, a kidney panel to rule out any sort of liver or kidney disease. Uh, so these are good. These are pretty basic tests that family doctor can order, um, a naturopath can order. And it's a good place. You really, you want to do blood tests with telogen effluvium. You want to rule out some things, right? So you have the, okay, what, why do, why do I have hair loss? Okay. It's telogen effluvium. Let's find out why I have this now, you know? And we have a question. Sorry, Talia, if I can interrupt. Yeah. yeah. So, so somebody is asking where would the changing hormonal status of perimenopause and menopause um, come into these? Like, it is, is it, is there anything specific about perimenopause or menopause that is affecting these that would show yeah. up in the blood tests? It's not really something you can, well, you can test for menopause in the blood test, but we'll talk about the, the hormone related hair loss next and we'll go into that now. Okay. And so I don't know, I'll say this now. I don't, I didn't know exactly when I would say it, but one of the things that can happen so hormonal hair loss is a, this is where the hair follicle gets skinny, produces a skinnier hair, and then ultimately dies. Okay. It occurs in a certain pattern. It's like an M pattern in women. You'll get thinning of the temples and you'll, you'll lose that hair follicle. And so that hair follicle is gone. Now, this is a big part of this is genetic. So as our hormones change, we lose our estrogen and our progesterone. We, in favor of more of the androgenic hormones, particularly DHT. And we'll talk about all this. There's a slide on this. But what can often set it all in motion, right, is a, a bout of telogen effluvium. So a lot of people can have both. So, and let me say that again, because it's a little bit confusing. Like if I, in my family history, am prone to androgenic alopecia, that when I'm maybe 70 years old, I'm going to have hair follicle miniaturization and less hair and more of that, that M pattern. Like I'm going to have thinning temples. If that's in my family history and that's in my future, if all of a sudden I go on a crash diet or I undergo a lot of stress and I lose a lot of hair, the telogen effluvium can reveal the underlying tendency for androgenic alopecia. So, so in that case, the hair loss can look like I'll notice the kind of um, thinning at the temples and I'll, and I won't necessarily see the hair regrowth in those areas. And I'll, and I'll notice that my hair kind of stays thinner. So a lot of it can be both, right? So we'll often find like there's a combination of hormonal influence and then there's a, a, a like a malnutrition influence or a stress influence. So I don't know if that makes sense. I'll repeat that again when we talk about androgenic alopecia. So, you know, with the hormonal types of hair loss, you can test blood hormones. You can even test the hormone DHT, which is responsible for hair loss. It's a type of androgen or type of male hormone. Like it's a derivative of testosterone, but it's not, it's measuring what's in the blood, not necessarily what's in the, in the scalp, in the hair follicle. So while sometimes patients will spend the money, do the test, it's about $70 just for that one marker. And it's usually out of pocket. It's difficult to convince a, like a family doctor to order it. Um, and I'll sometimes see that they're low in that marker. So it's not so much about the blood levels. It's more about the influence of the hormones at the scalp. It's, it's about the pattern and the complexity, the complexity of how all the hormones fit together. 
Um, so it's not really something you can rule out with a blood test. You, you rule it out via symptoms. You rule it out looking at like the pattern of hair loss, the context, and you can also do a scalp biopsy. A, a dermatologist could run, could do a scalp biopsy where they take a piece of the scalp, they analyze it, and they can tell you what type of hair loss it is. That's the definitive test. It's the gold standard. It's obviously invasive because you have to like, it's a tiny little puncture, but you have to actually like take a piece of the scalp to analyze. So it's not, you know, the easiest test, but um, that's the definitive sort of what we call the gold standard test that will tell you what kind of hair loss you have. Um, so yeah, with television flu, you want to rule out. So looking at vitamin D iron is a massive one. I just had a patient who was experiencing tons of hair loss after COVID, about three to six months after COVID. And we ran, so I thought, okay, you know, probably, you know, post-infection telogen effluvium, but then we ran blood work and she was full blown anemic, whether that had something to do with the COVID, I don't know, but that's definitely a, that if that's not resolved, then she, we're not going to see res, revolu, uh, resolution of the telogen effluvium. So we had to fix the anemia. Okay. So B complex is important. Um, like B12, B vitamins, and protein, your hair is protein. So protein malnutrition is massive, you know, especially among women from like, let's say their thirties and beyond. We don't get enough protein. I've, I've analyzed many, many diet diaries. That's the big uh, glaring thing in most people's diets. So that's a big one. You know, if we can't find other nutrients that, that might be low in blood, and, you know, we're looking at a diet diary where, you know, it's really important to get enough protein in the diet so you can actually make hair um, in addition to doing all the other things. Um, iodine and zinc are connected. So one of the ideas with the post-COVID hair loss is that it might be, uh, it might have robbed the body of iodine. And so iodine is something that I've been recommending sometimes when I see post-COVID hair loss. Obviously, with telogen effluvium, you want to rule out the underlying cause and a lot of the time, the solution is watch and wait. Once you've identified the root cause to be something like, okay, yeah, you had a fever three months ago, um, or you were really stressed, like, you know, you got this big scare, there was a health issue in your family, it's resolved now, though, so everything's fine, but you're de still dealing with that, with that shock three months later, and that's going to, your, your hair loss will resolve, just take care of yourself, that kind of thing. You know, pregnancy, you just had a baby, but three months ago, okay, you're noticing a lot of shedding, um, coming off the birth control pill. You know, I don't know how relevant that is for this audience, but that's something sometimes people are on, even just for cycle regulation, you decide to come off it and you'll notice a bunch of shedding. Or sometimes when you start the pill, you'll notice shedding. So once you've come off the birth control pill, you might notice some shedding for three months and then it resolves. Big things to support for this is uh, scalp massage and castor oil. So when you're re-implementing or supporting um, your uh, your body's ability to make hair, again, this is the whole idea, right? It's like your body needs the nutrients, needs the resources to invest in hair. Hair is not necessary for survival. So hair loss, like hair health is a, is a great indicator of optimal health. This idea of like, you're, are you, you're surviving, but are you thriving? If you're thriving, then your, your hair thrives, your libido thrives, you have high energy, you, you have high motivation. These are things that, a an animal or a human 
exhibits when they have enough resources, enough abundance of energy and good health. So hair is important for us to signal that, to signal vitality and 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 fertility and like you know energy, nutrient status. But for your body, it's not the number one priority, and so that's why it will often be the first thing you see go when it, when it comes to the health of the hair. Um, so anyway, so scalp massage helps to bring blood flow to the hair follicle and nutrients. So it, like, let's say you're dealing with anemia, low iron, and you start replenishing those levels in your body, doing a scalp massage helps bring those nutrients via the blood to the area to help accelerate hair growth and bring nutrition to the hair. Um, you know, a lot of us have uh, tension in the little muscles in the scalp And so that tension prevents nutrient flow to the scalp. So massaging the scalp not only feels nice, but actually can help with the regrowth. Um, And castor oil is something, castor oil also brings blood flow to the scalp. It's nourishing. It can stimulate hair growth. The only problem with it, it can be tricky to work with because it's so sticky. So it can feel a little bit weird to rub on your hair. It doesn't necessarily like go smoothly through the hair. You have to wash it off because it'll be very, very greasy, but it's sometimes something like a once a week hair mask, a scalp, you know, scalp massage and castor oil mixed with maybe another oil um, could be great. So again, the scalp massage and castor oil don't necessarily treat the root cause, but they can help support the healing process and the hair growth process. So androgenic alopecia. Okay, so this is the most common form of hair loss in both men and women. It's more common in men. So, you know, we'll see men sometimes in their 30s go bald. Women, it's not usually as dramatic, um, but it's the same process. And this is, and it results from hair follicle miniaturization. So the actual follicle gets thinner, produces a, a thinner hair, and then ultimately it dies. So that follicle never produces a hair again. So androgenic alopecia, when it occurs, now there's there's many cases uh, where if people really do try their best to support the hair, that it, it can come back. But it's something you want to treat early when you're noticing it happening. Uh, it's very common. So, you know, like with men, 30% of men at 30, 40% at 40, 50%, 50, super common that they start to, to get this, not necessarily through the, throughout their whole head, but they'll start to see the male pattern is more of like the bald patch at the back of the head, the crown. In women, it's less common, but it's 38% of women age 70 and above will experience it. And in women, it's the M pattern. So it's the temples. You can start. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you start to get thinning of the temples and the actual hairline is preserved. The crown is usually preserved, but there's a bit of that like receding hairline, especially at the at the temples. Um, and it's very closely based on family history. So to look, you know, looking at, um, you know, what do your grandparents look like parents? Like what, you know, what is hair health like in the family um, is going to be a big clue as to like, you know, what the, what your future holds, let's say. So what, how the mechanism of why this happens is a hormone called DHT, dihydrotestosterone. It's a type of androgen or as a type of testosterone 
it accumulates at the hair follicle and it causes the, the death of the hair follicle. The only evidence base, so that means like the proven way to reverse this or prevent this is minoxidil or Rogaine, right? So it's like that foam. You can even buy it over the counter, I think now it's like on Amazon. It's that foam that you put on the, like at, on the scalp. It's like twice a day. Uh, it takes a few weeks for it to to shift, and it put it start it stimulates hair growth. And it the the mechanism in which it stimulates it is thought to be that it um, encourages blood flow to the scalp. So we hear again, right? It's really important. Blood flow to your scalp is very important for hair. Um, th- there's side effects to Rogaine. So something you should talk to your doctor about. Right? It can lower blood pressure. It uh, can cause. This is the the side effect that kind of sucks is it can cause unwanted hair growth in other areas. Uh, it's difficult to work with it. You know, you have to leave it on your scalp, you apply it twice a day. So you kind of have it all the time on your hair. And as soon as you stop using it, the hair, uh, the hair loss begins again. So you will have to basically use it forever. Um, but what is very important for androgenic alopecia is the scalp massage again, because so again, we talked about the massaging the scalp brings hair, brings blood flow to the scalp, allows nutrients to get to the hair follicle. It relaxes the muscles of the scalp that may be preventing that from happening, especially the muscle called the erector pili, which, um, so when you're, when your hair stands on end, like when you get scared and you feel, or you're cold and you feel your hair on your body kind of plump up, that's the erector pili muscle. And DHT can be trapped in the scalp. Even if you don't have high blood levels of DHT, it can be trapped there. And this can start causing or accelerating this androgenic alopecia. And so doing frequent scalp massages can help release the DHT, get it out of the, of the scalp. Um, and then there are other solutions possibly. So like topical rosemary is uh is it anti-androgenic there's some research to show that that could be helpful again it's not proven in the way that minoxidil is it's just um some promising uh evidence that it could be helpful bhrt so hormone replacement therapy could also slow um this androgenic alopecia so taking topical estrogen, progesterone. It's something you want to do early on in the perimenopausal journey when you start noticing the hair loss and then working with someone that can prescribe these. Um, And then melatonin. There's some research on topical melatonin for preventing this. And what I, I don't know if I'm, if I've seen again, so with hair loss, right, there's a delay. We're usually not just doing one thing and there's a delay and we're also comparing it to what would it what would the hair loss of androgenic alopecia be like compared to not doing anything so we don't really know right like i don't know if it would have been worse without doing topical melatonin um but with topical melatonin i like you know i i don't necessarily see it as a miracle cure um i there's also not really great methods to apply it. Like I don't know of any hair serums or scalp serums that contain melatonin. So what we'll usually do with patients is they'll go to like to shoppers drug mart and get like a spray melatonin. So it usually has like a peppermint flavor or something and they'll spray their scalp with it. 
and, you know, wash it off in the morning. So use that as a topical solution. So these are some things that we use. Um, but the scalp massage is, is definitely key. Um, and, and doing this, uh, on a regular basis. So like I would do a, a good couple minutes of scalp massage everywhere that there's a hair follicle, especially focusing on the temples, um, you know, every day. And you can do that in the shower. Um, you can do it while applying casserole or any of these other things. With rosemary, it's going to be harsh on the scalp if you apply it directly. So you want to use a carrier oil, a couple of drops maybe in some sort of uh, scalp serum or in an oil or something. So Talia, sorry, we've got two questions from Beth. Sure. Um, I'll ask them now, and I don't know if it's coming up or if you can answer them at the end. She says her son is 22 and is already lo losing his hair. She assumes it's genetic. Is there anything he can do to slow it down? That's her first question. And the second one is her own hair loss is not at the temples, but at the top of her head. Um, and that's very stressful. In patches? Like in a patch? Or is it? Beth, let us know in patches or? Like, is it like a circle of loss? Okay. We'll wait for yeah. Beth to answer us. All right. Any, any, anything that? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, for boys, it's the same thing. Like they can do things like rosemary, melatonin. There's a drug called finasteride. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Like, I think that though, that the results from it are very iffy. It's an androgen blocker. You wouldn't necessarily want to put a young male on that. Um, but things like, like a regular scalp massage with rosemary and then looking at like, you know, how are his, um, how is his general health? Like, how's his skin? I, I would think like, does he have cystic acne? Like, is he, is he eating well? Like, is there any, so like we, I said, right. If there is telogen effluvium, so like I'll, I'll say it again, kind of in the same way, cause it is a weird thing maybe to conceptualize. Like, let's say it, when I'm 50, my, like you could kind of fast forward time. You're going to see a picture of me, like with a lot of, um, uh, M pattern, uh, hair loss at the age of 50. And I go through a lot of telogen effluvium. So my hair is coming out, you know, not because my hair follicles dying now in my thirties, but because there's this push, this stress induced hair loss that's occurring. The hair loss very likely will reveal that M pattern and I'll, and my hair will, my scalp, my hair distribution will look like it's sort of like I'll get to the age 50 um, level of hair loss earlier. So telogen effluvium can be this push that reveals this underlying female or male pattern hair loss. So you, so it can occur together, right? And if you're noticing a lot, like, because androgenic alopecia is not necessarily sudden hair loss. You start noticing it a little bit. You start to notice there's a change in the hair. You know, the, the texture is changing. It's more of a subtle shift. Even throughout the period of perimenopause, like sometimes our hormones can roller coaster and we can have dramatic changes. And then you might see more pronounced hair loss, but it won't be the sudden dramatic shedding you see with telogen effluvium where you're running your fingers through your hair and it's falling out and you're like, oh, I don't want to shower. So with the androgenic alopecia, if you're seeing a lot of sudden shedding, there's likely some telogen effluvium that's pushing the process faster. So you want to treat that first. So with a young kid, right, like it could be genetic and hormonal. And it's kind of like, you know, you can kind of preserve and keep the hair going with the scalp massages and, 
and, and really focusing on nutrition and then finding, is, is there any possible uh, telogen effluvium that could be occurring? Is he like, how, you know, how's his iron? Well, how is this his... says he does have eczema. Yeah. So there could be a little bit of that, like, yeah, some, some atopy, um, vitamin D would be a big one to look at. This is, yeah, this is the process. So with a lot of hair loss, right. You're going through the diagnostic process with a practitioner. It's kind of hard to DIY it because you want to get it right and fit and sort of map out the condition properly, you know? Um, so do it's you recommend possible. he see, you know, a doctor, a naturopath? And yeah. Get- like you could see, you could start with an ND, like, so history, like we talked about, like these, this information, when you're working with a doctor, it's kind of like an algorithm, right? So we're like, okay, is it coming up profusely? What's your age? Like you're looking at all these factors, but going to a dermatologist and getting a scalp biopsy, especially for him, may be a good idea just so you know, what is it? Right. Um, because there is also the possibility, especially for you, Beth, of, um, auto, so alopecia areata, which is an autoimmune type of hair loss. I don't know if this is what you're experiencing. You could be experiencing like more um, androgenic alopecia that just has a different distribution pattern. But alopecia areata is sudden hair loss. It's autoimmune in nature, and it the hair tends to come out in patches. So you'll get like a someone will say, "I'll I I, I was really stressed out, and uh, I got this like." coin shaped bald patch in my hair. You know, maybe it expanded, maybe it went away, maybe it's always in the same spot. Sometimes it moves. It's possible to get total alopecia areata. Um there could be inflammation of the scalp. So this is an autoimmune process. So what does that mean? It means the immune system is attacking the hair follicle and it's sometimes not permanent, but it's causing the hair follicle to uh, eject the hair. It's causing the hair to fall out. Um, so this is where like the scalp biopsy will determine it, but sometimes a, a like a uh, experienced dermatologist can look at your scalp and tell you if that's what it is and diagnose you via that. But this, the scalp biopsy will confirm. And then it can also, if it, if you don't have this type, it'll tell you what other type you have. Um, one of the things that you can see is like the hair shaft will be thin and then thickens. So it's like the, the hair itself got like the, like something changed with the hair growth pattern. Right. So you had like a normal width hair growing and then something changed and then it became skinny and there'll be something called the club sign. If you look at the hair follicle under a microscope, it looks kind of like this big bulb. Um, and so a dermatologist could look at that as well. Um, now, patch, patchy hair loss could also be tinea capitis. Okay, so the fungal hair loss. And so you want to diagnose that. And fungal hair loss can be diagnosed with a skin scrape. So they take a you know scrape of the dandruff or of the top layers of cells, like just kind of the superficial scraping of your scalp. And then they look at it under a microscope with, with um, a solution. Um, so often, you know, autoimmune issues, right? It's our immune system attacking a part of our body. Our immune system is supposed to attack uh, like bacteria, viruses, pathogens, right? That's what our immune system is for. It's supposed to attack cancer cells. It, it has a specific job to do. And sometimes the immune system can get confused and it can attack non-harmful environmental path things like cat dander, dust, pollen. It can attack 
uh, proteins from our food, right? So egg or dairy protein or gluten. And, um, and, and then it, it can also attack our own cells, right? So immune, immune conditions are usually characterized by what the immune system is attacking. And so in alopecia areata, the immune system is attacking the hair follicle and, and, and destroying it and causing this hair loss to occur. And it's usually in these like patches around the scalp. Rarely, it can be the whole scalp that usually happens really suddenly. And you, you know, you kind of know you have it. Um, and so often stress can trigger this, right? So it's not the same thing as telogen effluvium where you're really stressed out. And then three months later, you start to notice more shedding as a really like just related to the stress. This is, uh, the stress triggers this autoimmune condition to, to, um, for hair loss to look like this alopecia areata. And so whenever we're treating this, we're not necessarily focusing so much on hair itself. We're looking at the immune system. So how do we get the immune system to redirect, to act how it's supposed to and kill things that we don't want, not our own body cells or body organs or body structures. And so there's different things that we try. Usually it's, it's all encompassing, can be really difficult with autoimmunity, but it's things like anti-inflammatory diets, right? So taking out inflammatory foods, processed foods, certain potential food allergens that we may have to trial and error to figure out what those could be treating the gut. So how healthy is your gut? Is there any leaky gut? How is the bacterial balance of the gut? How's the health of the gut tissue itself? Uh, do you have enough vitamin D, vitamin A? These are really important for proper immune function. So for another reason, now we have vitamin D, right? Vitamin D is important for hair growth, but we also need it for healthy immune function. And so ultimately we're treating these, the immune dysfunction, not necessarily the hair itself, right? You can consume all the protein you want. It's going to help generally like giving your body the ingredients it needs to make hair. But unless we treat the underlying immune issue, you know, and the, the problem with alopecia areata is that sometimes it can happen so suddenly in the rare cases um, that it's difficult to kind of, uh, treat it in time. But when, like I've had patients who've experienced the patches, then they'll go away when they, they sort of treat the underlying immune dysfunction. Um, and these are like patients that don't have the more severe forms of this condition. Um, so we're looking at, you know, what, what can impact the immune system negatively, right? So chronic inflammation, insulin resistance, stress, the presence of other autoimmune conditions, they might alert us to that. Um, and it's treated conventionally with corticosteroids. So there's a corticosteroid that they'll inject in the scalp to prevent that from, to, to kind of shut down the immune system. And, and that, that often works. Um, it's a kind of like a temporary thing, but sometimes that's all you need because a lot of autoimmune conditions are self-limiting, meaning that they, they kind of just stop on their own. And it's unclear. Immune systems is kind of a mystery still. So we don't have all the information on what throws it off balance and what brings it back into balance. Um, so a lot of autoimmune treatment, especially in the conventional system, is like, let's just kind of shut it down. And then, it, you know, your body may just calm down and stop attacking itself. And a lot of the time that works. Um, So I'll come back to the scalp massage thing. So I feel like that's a really great thing you can start doing no matter what kind of hair loss. Um, I mean, if you have alopecia areata, you definitely the autoimmune uh, type, you definitely want to get that 
um, diagnosed. So if you suspect anyone listening that that could be going on, th- the big sign would be sudden patches of balding, so of, of shedding, um, then get that treated because scalp massage is not necessarily going to help that. It could help with the regrowth after the immune system is calmed down. But scalp massage will help androgenic alopecia and it will help telogen effluvium as long as you found the root cause of what of what created the telogen effluvium in the first place. And, you know, not only does it relieve stress, which is important for sort of all types of alopecia, but it also helps break down DHT at the root to help with the hormonal impact and brings blood flow to deliver nutrients to the hair follicle to stimulate hair growth. So it's a, it's a good one you can start. Um, and then I think, you know, the big thing is to work with a practitioner that can help you pinpoint what type of hair loss it is. So, and then why it's occurring so that it can be treated. And if it's more of a hormonal pattern, then identifying that that's what it is, that there's no telogen effluvium that's accelerating that hormonal hair loss. And, um, but if it is, you know, just purely hormonal, then, you know, talking about what a solution is you'd feel comfortable with. So I've, I've had patients do um, hormone replacement therapy. They're on a protocol for that. And, you know, and a lot of the time, unfortunately with the hormonal hair loss is really, it's just about slowing it and preventing it as opposed to like, once that hair follicle dies, it's unlikely that you're going to get a, a hair growing in that location again. So it's something that you, yeah, it, you know, it's good to talk to someone, get it diagnosed and get it started, you know, get it treated um, as soon as possible. And like I said, sometimes we are gaslit when it comes to hair because, you know, it's not necessarily like a disease, like you're going to die, right? It's it, like we said, it's a sign of vitality. It's a sign of optimal functioning. We don't necessarily have a healthcare system that is designed to ensure your optimal functioning. We have a lot of like keep you alive type healthcare in, in Canada, especially, um, you know, you have to kind of go outside the conventional system to get more, to get someone maybe take you seriously for more optimal health. Although dermatologists will care about your hair and will, um, diagnose what kind of hair loss you have and 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 present you with some options. Um, what else I want to say about that, but yeah, like having a plan where you can, um, that you feel comfortable with, with a practitioner would be helpful. So naturopath, dermatologist, family, uh, family doctor. And, and then of course there's the patient's aspect of it too, because it takes a few months to see results with hair loss. All right. Any more questions? I don't know, Tracy, we got any more? Yeah. And mute. If you have any questions, please just pop them in the chat um, and I will keep an eye on the chat. If you're watching the replay, I know a lot of people ask for the replay. Just type hashtag replay and um, tag Talia or me and we will make sure that you get an answer. So, so interesting. Thank you so much. I can tell you personally hmm. two things and you did mention both of them that kind of affected my hair loss. And I think maybe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, people often think that it's like, oh, it's 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 menopause or perimenopause that are causing yeah. issues. Meanwhile, it may be something kind of like not necessarily that direct of a <laughs> it's like what does that mean i can tell you for example uh when i did some intermittent fasting uh 
Yeah. Um, although intermittent fasting is not, you're supposed to still keep up your calories. I was doing 16, 8, 18, 6 for a while. And I just had just sudden, like sudden hair loss. Um, so maybe yeah. you can talk about, maybe, it's, uh, you know, speak a little bit about it's a big, yeah. it. Is, it's so intermittent fasting and keto are like a very common um, weight loss or weight maintenance um, recommendation for period was yeah. a woman. And then the other thing that I noticed with my hair loss and something that I think is really, maybe we should do this as an entire separate topic is the topic of ferritin, right? Where you go to the doctor, they do the blood tests, they say, you're not anemic. Okay, wonderful. You're not anemic. And they go, and your ferritin's fine. Your ferritin's fine. What does fine ferritin mean? Because I can tell you now that I know better, my ferritin was sitting at like 12, okay? Mm -hmm. And the doctor was telling me I'm fine. Yeah, and I see that all the time. Like, yeah, it, sometimes you, you'll patients will say, oh, you know, my doctor said my ferritin's not great. And I'm like, okay, what, what, what is it? And they're like, oh, it's 30. I'm like, wow. Okay. So sometimes you get a doctor who will look for more optimal levels. So the reference range for ferritin or our our iron storage, depending on the blood company. So is it Life Labs, Dynacare? I know Life Labs though, five is the lower end of normal and 270, I believe it's two or 275 is the high end of normal. Most people feel their best between 80 and 150. So that I would say is more optimal, but I would like, if somebody has a ferritin that's over 40, we're, it's less likely that low iron is the cause of the hair loss. If that makes sense. So like, we're kind of, we look at the, the ferritin, if it's 40, we think, okay, you know what? It's, you probably don't need to be on an iron supplement. Just make sure that you're eating iron rich foods. Let's look for other nutritional causes, but under 40, that could be the reason for the hair loss, you know? And, uh, and like I said, I had a patient with like full on anemia. That's definitely going to cause dramatic shedding. If you have suboptimal iron, you might not get that dramatic telogen effluvium, but you're, you're just constantly noticing more than a hundred hairs every day. And, uh, and, and your hair is just never kind of like great, you know, um, and iron also impacts your thyroid health. So there's a bit of this vicious cycle that if you have low iron, you'll often get high TSH, lower thyroid function. That's going to further contribute to telogen effluvium. And often it's just about reversing or supporting iron in the body and not just iron in general, but iron metabolism, which requires other nutrients that are important that are often, we're often low in like copper, vitamin A, um, but supporting iron metabolism so that, you know, thyroid works well and that you have you know, your body's set up to be able to make hair, <laughs> you know, it's like a, it's like a garden. Like it's kind of coming out of your head, like a, like a garden, right. Um, like grass <laughs> is, the, is the, I guess maybe the way to think about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so treat and maybe the soil. you can just speak to us about the intermittent fasting. So, yeah, I think, so yeah, it's a good point. Maybe I need to talk, I do maybe more like Instagram posts on this because what we'll often see is that our hormones, estrogen and progesterone protect us. They're very protect protective hormones. So they protect us from stress. They keep us insulin sensitive. When they start to fluctuate, 
And usually what happens in perimenopause is that they start to drop. So progesterone starts dropping. Estrogen starts fluctuating wildly. So you get high estrogen, you get a drop of estrogen. So you're kind of on this roller coaster. Ultimately, you're, you're going to be experiencing lower levels of estrogen and progesterone. That's normal, right? Like you didn't have high estrogen and progesterone when you were 10 before you had a period, right? So it's kind of like the second puberty when you're going through perimenopause. There's nothing kind of abnormal or unhealthy about it. But what will often happen is when you lose the benefit of those hormones, other underlying health conditions emerge. So if you have chronic stress, it's going to feel worse when you don't have estrogen and progesterone to protect you from it, right? Like kind of like when you're PMSing, like PMS might just be normally how you are, but when you feel great, you have the benefit of like great estrogen levels and great progesterone levels. If you're insulin resistant, if you have a tendency for insulin resistance, you're going to see that show up in perimenopause. And we're going to blame the perimenopause because that's the big change, right? That's the thing that that lit the fire, but it's, we have to look at the underlying health conditions. Now the cycling of those hormones isn't fun either. So it's not that that's not like an issue, right? But it's, we also, there's kind of like a feedback. If you're insulin resistant, it's going to make the transition more difficult. If you have chronic stress it's going to make the transition more difficult. But so here's like a common thing, right? So you start losing progesterone, your progesterone starts dropping as you stop ovulating regularly, which is normal, but that's going to happen. Um, so you start being a little bit more insulin resistant. So you start noticing more abdominal weight gain, weight gain. I always mispronounce that. And so then you're like, I want to lose weight. So then I heard that keto is good. Let me just do keto. It seems simple. I know how to follow. Just look at recipes. You can eat cheese. Let's do it. So you do keto that puts more stress on your body right? Because it's, you need, you need carbohydrates for managing cortisol. You you know, you, you like, they're not essential, right? In the keto world, they're like, carbohydrates are not essential. You can make your own carbohydrates, but carbohydrates do have a role to play. And obviously you make energy from them, but they also calm your cortisol levels and they help you, you, they help nourish you. They have their role to play in your health. So now you, and in women, what can happen is when we do keto and intermittent fasting is we can become more insulin resistant, right? So this stress can impact us. So we start to kind of cycle. So now we're adding a load of stress, right? And so this can result in, yeah. And and that's really common, right? When we, whenever we sort of crash our, do an extreme diet, like we you change the way you're eating dramatically, like you go keto or intermittent fasting, drop your calories down, you cut something out, then you'll, you'll often get telogen effluvium. Mm-hmm. And so that's like, that's often what, <laughs> so this, I was thinking about this actually before this conversation, because I've done these things in the past where I'm like, I look shredded and I look amazing and I'm losing weight. And you may, you, you have tons of cravings and you kind of have less energy and you kind of feel less great, but you're like, but the scale is showing the number I like. But the thing that will make you stop is when you notice a bunch of hair loss. That So it's like you can feel like you kind of know it's not great for you. But when you see your hair shedding, you're like, OK, I'd rather be like 10 pounds heavier. Right. Um, so that is something it's it's this massive trade off. Right. But I think what it's indicating is the stress that that has on our body. Um, and the thing is that when we're talking insulin sensitivity, it, we're usually not like, there's probably no name for the diet that you, right. It's a, it's about looking at lifestyle, creating a shift, 
I always talk with my friend about this because we're always trying to find the answer, but it's like, it's consistent. It's like, like, um, you know, it's all about consistency. It's all about just like plugging away at a consistent lifestyle changes that you can sustain, that you can live with. And a big part of it has to do with building muscle mass, which nobody wants to hear, but amazing and that's the yeah. <laughs> exactly then you join and then if you want to learn how to build muscle mass the right way go with go to tracy and she'll set you, up. Okay. <laughs> you won't hurt yourself amazing thank yeah. you talia this was so so interesting one last question and then we can end off we've had um lots of people jumping on to join us and i'm sure many will watch <laughs> replay as well veronica wants to know um she says she's jumping on a little late is there a video to learn to do the scalp massage um i don't i'm sure you could youtube there are there's like these little devices like these little silicone things i don't use that i I just get in there and like like you can you kind of feel what the pressure is that feels good like you you kind of want to move the skin of your scalp along your skull if that like you can almost feel and some of you if you try this you may even feel little adhesions what does that mean is like little like sticky little sticky like things are I don't know how to describe that better like it's like almost like your scalp is like stuck to your skull a little bit not in like a crazy way where it's like hurting but you just feel little like little it's kind of like when you're when you're stretching, you feel a little like cracked, right? Basically, what what's happening is that's like fascial adhesions in the muscles, right? And when Tracy talks about this in her program, right, and this is part of what movement does, is when you're it's it's similar to your entire body is when you're doing stretching, when you're doing correct movement, you're loosening layers of fascia and allowing blood flow and nutrients to get in between the fascia and toxins and waste. So, in the case of your scalp, DHT to leave. So. Um, yeah, I'll kind of do it in the shower and you'll 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 feel um like it kind of feel like you'll you'll feel almost maybe like this tingly or this warm sensation as the blood flow is is entering the area. Does that make sense? I'm sure there's a YouTube video, but anyway, you can kind of just like put your fingers on your scalp and just like Cool. Okay. Now, now I know what I'm going to be doing while I binge watch White Lotus. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you already done the crown. <laughs> um, That's what I'm. Um, one last yeah. thing, if you've got a minute. Um, I saw on your YouTube that you were talking about the no poo. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So actually, there's a really interesting experiment that I did. I think I started it in August. So uh, I'm not. Like I noticed my hair texture was changing as a personal story. And like I, I've had bouts of telogen effluvium and I definitely have some androgenic alopecia that I'm noticing is like getting exposed with each bout of telogen um, effluvium and things weren't necessarily resolving it with the way I wanted. So I, I want to just kind of reset things. And so the idea with no poo is that you're you're just letting your hair back to factory settings, basically, because with every shampoo, no like, shampoo, right? No yeah. shampoo, yeah, no poo. So shampoo, right, is a detergent, suds, and it lathers and it it pulls the oils from our scalp and our hair. 
and that's how we get clean hair. But what happens is our our hair kind of gets used to the fact that it's going to be washed every two days. And so you get grease in between, right? So you'll get this extra oil buildup. So essentially you'll dry your scalp out and then you'll get this rebound oil production. So what no poo does is like, it just leaves it all alone. The oils start to kind of balance out and, and you, and you leave those oils on your hair. So you allow them to like penetrate the shaft. So it's a bit of a, like it, so I've been doing it since August, usually takes a couple months for things to settle. So like, yeah, you don't, it's not like my hair looks super clean, but it doesn't look super greasy. Whereas like, it, trust me, like before, if I didn't wash my hair for two days, it'd be like a grease slick. Um, and, but it does, it's not necessarily low maintenance. It's low maintenance in the sense that you don't need to buy shampoo. You can go camping and stuff and you just leave your hair. It's not going to like stink or get really greasy, but you do need to wash it with water. So I go into the shower and I do a scalp massage. And what that does is it just kind of helps move the, the water, like moves the oils down the shaft a little bit. Um, and then I use a boar bristle brush. So like a natural bristle brush, which um, pulls the oils from the roots down the hair shaft. And um, sometimes I'll do something just called co- co-washing, which is you just use conditioner that contains no silicones. Uh, and you, you use that to kind of remove excess buildup and stuff like that and to re-moisturize the hair. Um, but that's it. Yeah. I only shampooed my hair once since August. And it was, I'll tell you, when I shampooed it, it was glorious for like five days. I had great hair. So I think that the downsides to no poo is the adjustment phase. Um, and you have less control over whether you have a good or bad hair day. Because sometimes you wake up, you're like, my hair looks great today. And sometimes you're like, uh, there's just just greasy for no reason. And I don't really know mm-hmm. what to do about like, because our, our skin, just like our hair, right? Like if you didn't what like sometimes you're gonna have oils sometimes you're not depends on depends on like your hormonal fluctuations your stress levels it depends on the dryness of the air so you have sort of less agency over like like you know before I could just wash my hair and it would look good and now I'm like well bristle brush and hope for the best but I have a party tonight (laughs) you know so um yeah, it's an interesting experiment. And I just like not having to buy shampoo, but you still have to wash your hair with water. So it's not like uh, yeah, no yeah. effort. And yeah. do you know anything about these dry shampoos? I'm being like hit with Facebook ads for some reason since I started talking about this. Um, yeah, this this live I'm being hit with Facebook ads about by these various dry shampoos. Yeah. So what I use, there's one you can make. So what the idea of a dry shampoo is it's just something to absorb the oils on the scalp so that you can get away with like extending your shampoos or it's also like a way that you can adjust to no poo if you wanted to, but I would use it in between. Like you wake up in the morning, you don't have time to have a shower. You want to kind of refresh things. You put dry shampoo. So, um, corn, cornstarch or arrowroot powder will, I used to use baby powder before I was a naturopath. I wouldn't recommend it, but natural version is uh, arrowroot powder, which you can get at like bulk barn. And that will absorb oil. And it also gives you a little bit of volume. The problem is it's very white. So if you have blonde hair, if you have light colored hair, then it's great. You can just use straight arrowroot powder. But if you have darker hair, I'll mix it. You can kind of mimic your own hair color using a certain amount of cocoa powder. So natural cocoa powder and arrowroot powder, and you mix it together and you kind of put a little bit on your hands and then you you do like a little bit of a dusting. I, I don't do it with no poo um, because the hair balance, but you could. And so you kind of dust your roots and then you get like 
it doesn't look greasy and then you brush it and you can actually it like produces a bit more volume and your hair smells like hot chocolate <laughs> especially when you have a shower like all of a sudden you forget about it sometimes and then you're like in the shower like wow it's delicious <laughs> um but it actually works really well and if you have dark like brown hair or darker hair it you don't see it um so yeah it was like showing uh, i think on my blog i have the recipe but it's literally just take arrowroot powder or cornstarch if you want if it's easier to find and then you just mix in with some cocoa powder like fries coke baking cocoa and then uh you mix them together and then just like dust it on the roots and mix it through your hair amazing uh, okay i'm sure there's like better ones on the market like there's different ones on the market but that's like an easy virtually free one you can do that's all natural so yeah amazing well thank you so so much for coming to speak to us loads of information definitely need to watch this a few times but um the takeaway is that it is a often a systemic issue it's a whole health issue so please reach it's not the menopause or the perimenopause. Right. it is and it's not just like yeah. take biotin yeah. Yes. yeah exactly yeah and it's not just like it's iron like it's it, it like you can think of it like an algorithm like what kind of hair loss is it and maybe you just listening to this you've identified it like sometimes it's not that hard sometimes it's very clear and then okay now that i know what kind of hair loss it is mm-hmm. um what like what's driving it and how and what's my strategy or solution and so usually working with someone who's trained is the is the way to go right it's hard to figure it out on your own but yeah. it's not impossible yeah amazing well mm-hmm. They are your contact details up if anybody would like to get hold of you. And I think the good news is that in many cases, there's probably a lot that you can do. And it's also it's also a gift, right? I think we should also look at it as a gift that it's 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 a sign telling you that mm-hmm. your health and your stress levels um, need to be given some attention. You can start eating breakfast again. <laughs> You're doing IF. Yeah. Go have that omelet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go have a snack, everyone. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming to join us. All the best. Bye. Bye. Bye.